Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Hopefully you are to the book of Philippians now, that letter of Paul to the Philippian church. And in it, he writes to this church a number of things. But he, he first begins by reminding them how thankful he is for them and their partnership in the gospel and how they have sacrificed in order to see the good news of Jesus Christ shared. And he prayed for them that they would continue to grow in knowledge uh, in, in love and, and every kind of discernment that they would continue to develop as believers in understanding, in affection for one another, and in wisdom in living out their daily lives. But he also rejoiced that the gospel was going out at any cost, even when it cost him, even when it was dear to him and difficult for him. And he reminded the Philippian church and all of us, for him and for all of us, to live is Christ. In other words, our whole life should be focused on Christ at the center. And to die, because we have the promise of eternity in the presence of God, is actually a gainful thing for us. So it's something to keep us in a proper perspective. Now last week, Paul challenged all of us, even as he challenged the Philippian church, to this one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That we are called as believers, as people who belong to the kingdom of God, to live lives that are different, worthy of the gospel of Christ. And really central to that is our unity as a church, our unity as believers. And so Paul is going to help us to understand what that unity can and should look like as we move forward into these next few verses. So if you have your Bibles or you have your Bible app, encourage you to open or scroll to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And of course, kiddos, make sure you've got your sermon notes so you can answer the question at the bottom, turn it in, and collect those prizes. Next week will be Children's Church, so you'll have that opportunity to uh, collect your prizes for the first part of November. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul is helping the believers in Philippi and all of us understand that we are to live, remember to live is Christ, to live in unity and humility. So we are supposed to be one and we are supposed to be humble in our living. So if you'll open your Bible up and read along with me here, Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude 
as that of Christ Jesus. So Paul is beginning to help the Philippian church once again understand the importance of living for Christ and what that will look like, what it will be to be citizens living lives worthy of the good news in our lives. So first he begins in verse 1 of chapter 2 with this statement, if then there is any encouragement, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. So that he has these four ifs. Now what's interesting is these four ifs actually, in, in the Greek, the way that he asks them, that implied answer is, yes, you have this. In fact, it, it's almost a valid way to, to read these ifs, not as a maybe it's possible, but instead as a, a, him saying, since you have this. So instead of if, 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 you can kind of stick in there, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship with the Spirit, since there is affection and mercy. So it, just the songs we sang this morning, it, it was a great selection. It's almost like Jay and I sit down and talk, but we don't. Uh, because the Holy Spirit's in charge and I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to micromanage Jay. Jay prays. The songs get picked. Everything was great this morning so far. This celebration of <laughs> so far. Well, look, Brad, I could still mess up at this point. Um, which my ADHD, of course, Brad's over there laughing so far. And of course, I key in on that. Um, so here we go. But, but so far, but the, the, the songs, all of them were celebration songs, even if they were a little somber in, in the way that they sounded. Did you, did you catch? They're all celebration songs about what God was doing in our lives. About how amazing it is to be able to celebrate what he's done, to count our blessings, to be able when we are overwhelmed with the troubles of this life, to be able to just rest in him. That the last song, when everything is falling apart, we have Jesus. And because of this, the gospel very clearly brings to us these four things. We have encouragement in Christ. We, we, we can look at what Jesus says to us, what he says about us, what he has established for our eternity by his life, death, and resurrection, and we should be encouraged. I, I mean, it doesn't matter what this life throws at us. If you and I have believed on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we win. We get it all. It's perfect. It's holy. It's celebratory. It's going to be amazing. Your knees won't hurt anymore. I mean, do you realize what a big deal that is? Right? How amazing what we have promised to us is and will be. We have great encouragement in Christ because they can take everything away from us right here and it still will mean nothing compared to what will be given us in eternity. We have great encouragement in Christ. We know that because of his life, death, and resurrection, we are no longer slaves to sin in the here and now. Do you realize you don't have to cuss every time somebody cuts you off and then be ashamed of it? Instead, you can stop cussing. 
You don't have to be a slave to to things like pornography. You don't have to be a slave to your anger. You don't have to be a slave to your, your shame or your past. You are made whole through Jesus Christ. We've got forever to look forward to, but we have even right now in Christ the encouragement of being able to be victorious over sin, victorious over the hurts of our past. We have new names in Jesus Christ. The things we used to call ourselves don't matter anymore because now we are beloved sons and daughters of the King. We are righteous. We are holy in God's eyes. Do you have some encouragement in Christ? Well, yes. Since you have the gospel brings encouragement in Christ, since the gospel brings the consolation of love, The comfort of knowing you are loved unconditionally. There is nothing about you when you are in Christ that can separate you from the love of God. I mean, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul who who wrote Philippians, he wrote to the, the, the church in Rome, and he lists all of these things that cannot separate us from the love of God when we are in Christ Jesus. And if you want to know what the list is, it is exhaustive. It is, he he gives angels, he gives powers, principalities, he gives everything. And and he ends it with anything in creation. There is nothing in creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that there are only two things in this, this, this whole realm of existence? The uncreated God and everything else that he created. So if God will not stop loving you because of what Jesus did, and nothing in creation can make him stop loving you when you are in Christ, you have a deep consolation of love because the statement is, God won't stop loving you, and nothing can make him stop loving you. Isn't that cool? It doesn't matter if you change your hairstyle. Shelly and I have this discussion about hair because she, she would love it if I would grow my hair down to my back like back here, and maybe even get a perm. I don't, you know, if, I don't, yeah, tease it up and, and do like the old 80s poofs and 90, early 90s poofs and stuff. Yeah, and then if I would wear things like studded leather belts. Uh, yeah, oh my goodness. You can just see her. She's salivating right now. She, she finds those things so attractive. And I do not. Um, I do not, I do not find that. Uh, there's no way I could wear things like that. And feel comfortable. And, and some of you maybe have noticed, you know, I've been growing my hair out. So it, it started with COVID, right? Couldn't get a haircut. Couldn't, and so it just started growing out. And I got lazy and it's like, uh, it's kind of cool. And now it's getting really long. And Shelly's like, it's so nice. I like it. You're sexy. And it's like, well, uh, okay. But it's kind of annoying. And, 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 um, and well, right. Well, that's, <laughs> and the question is, if I get my hair cut, will you stop loving me? Because some days I just need it cut. Some days I need to go back to the buzz. You know, and, and just gel it back and just be done. And she's like, well, yeah, I'll still love you, I think. <laughs> so I keep it for now. I keep it for now, right? She, she's ready for me to go full on, you know, like Viking braids and it's not quite there yet. Tattoo the sides of my head, probably. Like, have you seen any of those shows, right? It's, it's, that's not happening. Don't worry. Don't worry. That's not happening. <laughs> yet. <laughs> but it, it's it's... It's sort of a tongue-in-cheek question. Will, will you stop loving me if I cut my hair? 
But it's also a, a truthful thing that, that we struggle with acceptance with one another. And the, the, the way that we are so fickle with our affections. I can cut my hair and God will love me. I can grow it down to my feet and, and, and because in it every Halloween and he will love me. Right? You, he loves you when you are in Christ. There is nothing that can separate you from that love. A haircut, a shave, that where you live, your clothes. Now he does long for you to be holy and Christ-like, but he will not stop loving you in that process. Understand, you have this great and deep comfort because of the love of God. Since the gospel brings fellowship with the Spirit, and the Spirit here, pneuma in Greek, it's the Holy Spirit. And you realize that, that we have this amazing God, one God, three persons, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person, not part of God, but person of God, is fully God and yet unique in their personality and unique in their works within our lives. The Son bringing encouragement here, the Father showing His love, and the Spirit fellowshipping with us. Paul in other places and other writers in the New Testament tell us that the Holy Spirit isn't just like hanging out with us, like our best bud sitting in the seat next to us, but Scripture clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit lives inside us. That is how intimate our fellowship with God is in the gospel. He's not out there that we have to go find him or go to some special place to worship him. Instead, wherever we go, wherever we walk, however we express ourselves and live, the Spirit of God is right here in us. Where do we worship God? Everywhere we go. Because he lives within us. Paul writes that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What's a temple? Well, it is a place of indwelling and a place of worship. Everywhere you go should be a place of worship because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your fellowship with God is intimate and real and constant, even if you don't recognize His presence. Even if you are so distracted by the things of this world that you would ignore His, his presence within you. He's still there. The gospel brings us encouragement in Christ. It brings us consolation of love. It brings us fellowship of the Spirit, or with the Spirit. It brings us affection and mercy. Affection and mercy. These are things we begin to experience within the body of believers we're called into. Affection and mercy. As we get to know one another more, we love one another more. We appreciate one another's presence and gifts, but we also are able to be merciful with one another's flaws. I am so thankful that as a church, you love me, but even more so, I'm thankful that you show mercy toward me. That you don't accept my flaws as being, you know, unchangeable in Christ, but you understand I will be flawed. And guess what? I understand you'll be flawed as well. What a joy it is, though, to be loved and shown mercy because of what Jesus has done in all of our lives. 
So Paul says to the Philippian church, he says, since the gospel has brought you all of these things, and you're supposed to be living as citizens worthy of this gospel, see what it's done in your life. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So these four things that that, that salvation brings into our lives, Paul gives us four distinct challenges of how we should then live in response to what we've received. Four distinct things that we've received, four distinct challenges on how we should live. So he says, make my joy complete. He's actually telling the Philippian church he's really proud of them in that statement. You've already brought me joy, now make my joy complete. And what would make his joy complete? To watch them grow up as a church. You guys were so gracious to me and my family on Pastor Appreciation Month in October. Uh, beautiful gifts and, and a great meal and time together and words of affirmation and encouragement. But I have to tell you, as nice as those things are, the gift that I love the most from every member of the church is to watch you grow in your faith. Is to watch you be able to leave behind old habits and put on Christ-likeness. The greatest joy I have is to watch you come into the ministries that you're called to, that God has laid on your heart, to be able to, to see you develop and mature as Christ would have you grow and develop and mature. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi and all of us. The greatest joy we can bring the leaders in our lives is to live like Jesus is to grow up into Christ-likeness. So he says, make my joy complete by having these things happen in your life. So essentially he's saying, live worthily by doing these four things. He says, I want you to think the same way. Think the same way. Uh, In the Greek, it's literally just think the same. I want you to have the same love. I want you to be united in spirit and one in purpose. And so these four things, let's look at these in a little more detail because it's critical that we understand what the goals are for us as a church. So we are supposed to be thinking the same. In other words, of the same opinion. On things. Now, you can look around the room right now and know that this is a only God can make this happen kind of thing. Because I know for a fact we've got some, some Republicans, we've got some Democrats, we've got some in-betweeners, we've got some people who are ready to just, you know, watch the world burn and hope Jesus comes back right there at the beginning of it all. And, and just, and, and, and not in a negative way, but just a man, I'm so tired of this mess. We've got folks who are accepting of certain things and others who are hardcore adamant against them. We we, we are not robots, are we? We are not cookie-cutter Christians. But Scripture tells us, not just here, but in other places that we'll look at as well, 
that our minds are supposed to be changed as we mature as believers. If your opinions today are the same opinions you had the day you got saved, there is a good chance you need to grow up a little bit. There is a a good chance that you need to mature and to get into God's Word and start saying, God, how might you want my thinking to change? Because what's interesting about the way that we think is that the way we think dictates the way we act, doesn't it? Our opinions on any given subject determine how we will respond to those things. And so we are called to think the same, to be of the same opinion. Now, of course, the common ground that we start from is a clear understanding that the cross is our place of salvation and the empty tomb is the confirmation of that salvation. That we should all think clearly and the same regarding the gospel. That we were all sinners separated from God because of our rebellion. He had created us for fellowship and we rejected Him and by doing so have earned for ourselves wrath and death. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, fully God and fully man, and then died on the cross as the sacrifice for your sins and mine, absorbing the wrath of God and making it possible for you to be forgiven of your rebellion against God, your sins. And then he rose again on the third day, proving he is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do, giving affirmation that each and every one who believes on him will receive not just forgiveness of sin, but also life eternal and righteousness in the eyes of God the Father. Can we agree on that? Can we agree that that's true? That's our starting place. And then we start reading Scripture together, and we should be able to slowly take new ground as we think differently. Concepts like this, and I I harp on this one because it's so straightforward. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says this, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, some people would go, okay, so wine's off limits, but he didn't say anything about beer. He didn't say anything about pot. (laughs) Here's the thing. What Paul says is, in essence, if we want to put it in our own context, is... Don't let any substance or thing control you because that's stupid. Instead, be controlled by the Spirit. That's what he says, in essence. He uses the direct application of don't get drunk with wine because it leads to stupidness in your life. That's what it, debauchery, it leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Or we can take it and extrapolate it out and say, don't let anything other than the Spirit of God control you. Whether it's a cheeseburger, or wine, or beer, or pornography, or marijuana. I mean, you guys get the list. I don't have to give you all the details. Because as soon as I try and give you an exhaustive list, you'll go, oh, my addiction's not on that list. I'm cool. But don't let anything control you except the Spirit of God. And when we have a a verse that clear-cut, we should be of the same opinion. We should think the same about those things. Now, 
Will we always live the same in light of what we think? Not necessarily. We might struggle. We might have our issues. We might have one too many pots of coffee that day. But we think the same because we're allowing Scripture to dictate our opinions. Does that make sense? Does that click what's supposed to be happening? You know. You know. You, you, you have this, this great consolation in Christ. You, you have love from the Father. You have fellowship with the Spirit. Now start thinking like they're asking you to. Think the same. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. The Apostle Paul writing there to the church in Ephesus. He's encouraging them about how our lives should change when we've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he says, I want you to do this. I want you to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In other words, begin to think differently about life as dictated by Scripture. And to put on the new self, (laughs) sorry, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Take off your old self, change your mind about how you live, and then put on the new self created to be like Jesus. But what's in the middle of that process? Change your mind. How do you change your mind? You read scripture. And you begin to formulate your opinions based upon what Scripture clearly teaches. So we're supposed to think the same way, have the same opinions. We're supposed to have the same love or to be people who are of the same passion. What should we be passionate about, church? Man, yes, some of you are like, oh no, Sunday school answers. What am I supposed to say? Is it God? Is it Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. Should, let, let's start with, yeah, let's, let's start with God. Let's start with, with, with Jesus. Let's start with passionate for the gospel. Passionate for obedience, the, which is a, a result of living out the gospel. Passionate, though, not for our own little pet projects. And, and listen, I, there's nothing wrong with, with different ministries, Right? We are all shaped differently and express our faithfulness to Christ differently. But each of our ministries should never override our passion that we share with the whole body. And the whole body's passion should be for Jesus and his gospel and his good news. Why do you come to church? I mean, there's any number of reasons to come to church, but I hope at the heart of it all, is that you find yourself growing in passion for the good news of Jesus Christ. And that it's revolutionizing your life. We're supposed to be thinking the same way. We're supposed to be in love with that one thing, that one person, together as a church. We're supposed to be united in spirit. Now the word spirit here is not the Holy Spirit. The word spirit here actually it means one-souled or single-minded. In other words, we have the same opinions, we have the same passions, and we start focusing together on the same thing. United in spirit 
and one in purpose. Literally, thinking toward the one thing together. Thinking toward just one thing as critical and of most importance. And that critical, most important thing is Jesus and His kingdom. And how do we live it out? And how do we allow Him to take us where we should be? Now, this is really kind of cool when you get into the language Greek is a really unique language. Even the verbs and the adjectives and, 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 and all the, a lot of the different words, they, have, they, can, they can be either singular or plural in their usage. So, um, you know, a word like run, well, we have past tense and present tense, but, you know, I can run or we can run. But in Greek, if it was we, plural, there would be an ending on the word run that would help us understand that the, who's doing the running. It's not one person running, it's a bunch of people running. And so as Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi, it's interesting to see how the words progress. Since the gospel brings encouragement in Christ, that's singular. So he's talking to you, individual believer. I want you to understand that you should be encouraged because of what Jesus has done for you. That the gospel, the power of the gospel brings that to bear in our life. Individual believer, speaking in the singular, the gospel brings each and every one of us the consolation of love. This comfort of knowing that the Father loves us as individuals. It's not like he looks out over the church and says, you know, 60% of you are good. I'll accept everybody. No, he looks at each and every one of us as individuals and he loves us. The third one, fellowship with the spirit. It's in the singular. In other words, each and every one of us are in fellowship with the spirit of God within us. Each and every one of us have a potential for intimacy with the everlasting God. It isn't dependent on our gathering together. It isn't dependent upon this building. This is not the house of God. This is the building in which the temples of the Holy Spirit gather. And and each and every one of us has this opportunity to be in intimate fellowship as an individual with the Spirit. And then we experience this affection and mercy that grows as we gather together. And it happens to be in the plural there. So these things that the gospel brings us, encouragement as individuals, consolation of love as individuals, fellowship with the Spirit as individuals, each and every person who believes on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will and has already received each of these things. And then as we start to gather together as the body of Christ, we begin to experience affection and mercy. And because the gospel gives us these things, now live worthily by thinking the same. And that's in the plural. All of you together think the same way. Be of the same opinions. Live worthily by all of you together having the same love. It's in the plural. So he's talking about because you as individuals have been saved and changed and know encouragement and love and fellowship, come together 
and start to live differently. Think the same. Be passionate about the same one thing, the good news of Jesus Christ. Be united in spirit, single-minded, all of you together as one mind, one in purpose. Everybody, plural, together as a single purpose. Now, it's easy in our, in our English translations to overlook some of this stuff that we can see as we dig into the Greek. But hopefully you see, this is not some letter of general encouragement. This is, you have Jesus. You are loved. You have fellowship. You all have affection and mercy in your midst. Now, all of you live differently. All of you together think the same way. All of you together be focused on that one thing that we should be passionate about, Jesus. All of you together be united in spirit, be single-minded or single-souled. All of you together be one in purpose. Now we have a mission statement at the church. Hopefully you know it. We don't say it often enough probably. To know God and make Him known. And that is the heart of who we are as this fellowship. And Paul is saying, you as individual believers, you need to be digging in deeper to the corporate nature of your faith. And he says, your past personal experiences should be giving birth to a future corporate glory. Where you're single-minded, where you're single-loved, where, where you are working all out together to accomplish the goal of bringing the gospel. Ephesians 4 The Apostle Paul writes this to the church of Ephesus. He says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. This church is dependent upon every individual who has been called here and belongs here Serving God with all that they are. Longing to grow up into Christ-likeness. And chasing after doing this singular ministry we've been called to. I am a nerd. When I was a kid, there was a show called Voltron. And now that I'm an adult, there's actually a reboot of Voltron. It's on Netflix. It's pretty good. A little bit of you know, modern culture nonsense, but man, the lions are cool. Anyway, the story of Voltron is that there are five lions, and each of these five lions has in it a human pilot. And each of these lions, of, in and of themselves, they are very powerful. They can do some pretty wicked stuff. You would love to have a lion. I mean, just, just saying. Like, it would be better than the best car off of any lot if you had one of the Voltron lions. They do some wicked cool stuff. They are amazingly powerful. But what's unique about the Voltron Lions is that they combine together into one single huge humanoid robot. And they fight evil in ways that each individual lion could not on their own. In fact, when the strengths of the lions are combined together, they start finding out they've got these new powers that they never, ever knew about 
as the pilots of individual lions. And not only that, but as they combine together, the pilots of each individual lion find out that their lion has powers that they didn't know. I mean, it's just, it's just this really cool example. My wife's laughing. This really cool example of things that were powerful and unique on their own when they combine together become even more powerful. And not just as a unit, but each individual within that unit discovers within themselves new strengths that they didn't know they had before they went all in and combined with the others. Now, I I hope you you can kind of hear the spiritual behind the nerd. You, you, You guys, you're like the lions. I mean, in a roundabout way. Each of you, in Christ Jesus, you are powerful. You are unique. You have abilities that others do not have. But it's only when you combine together into the body of Christ and you let go of your own autonomy and join in to the greater whole that you will discover the power of the whole and also new powers and abilities within yourself by the Spirit that you never knew you had before. Now, some of you who are newer to church or, or maybe you're, you're visiting with us, you say, that sounds like a cult. No, that's not what we're talking about. Don't hear that. But do hear what Scripture clearly says. We are the body of Christ. When we combine together, we are more than we are individually. And each individual, as they submit themselves to the body, into participation in the body, will actually find themselves growing in ways they could not alone. Christian unity, what Paul's telling us, what the Bible tells us, Christian unity is not a loss of individuality. Nobody wants you to be a robot. Nobody wants you to be like me. If there were a whole church of people like me, it would be scary. Same is true of you. If we were all just cookie cutters, if we were all just, you know, had to become some sort of Stepford wife kind of Christianity. No, we're, we're talking about instead, everybody, you matter. You're individually mattering. You are loved. You're called. You're chosen. You're, you're, you're filled with the Spirit. But you're called to be part of something bigger than you. Christian unity is not a loss of individuality. Rather, it is, according to Scripture, the only means by which each individual fully becomes what they are redeemed to be. You will not be the most Christian-like you until you get fully engaged in church life. And that's just what Scripture tells us. You will not become the most Christ-like you until you are fully engaged with other believers and seeking to be single-minded, of one passion, thinking the same way, pursuing the same goal. That's where your Christian maturity, that's where your your faith will begin to mean more than it ever has. And you will experience the power of Christ within you in ways you never imagined. So Paul says this. This is what's been happening in you individually. This is the goal corporately. And then he says... This is how we'll achieve it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. We are called as Christians to a radical self-sacrifice. To begin to practice when we come together, abandoning our own desires and goals, and instead beginning a lifestyle of trying to lift other believers up. A lifestyle of making others more important than ourselves. Selfish ambition. This word Paul uses here, it's the same word he used back in chapter 1, verse 17, to describe his opposition. The people who were standing up against him, they were self-serving and self-promoting. They were the ones who were sharing the gospel in order to make themselves look important. The first rule of belonging to church is it's not about you. It's not about me. My heart's desire is that in any aspect of our church life, I can step off to the side and nobody would notice I wasn't there. That is the dream. Because it's not about any individual. It shouldn't be about conceit, empty glory or pride and puffing up yourself. You are not here to feel better about yourself, believer. You are here to give of yourself that everyone might grow in Christ-likeness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. You guys have heard this from me before. When you walk into a room like this of believers, who is the most important person in the room? Everybody but you. The most important person in a room, when you walk into a room of believers, according to Scripture, is everybody but you. Now that doesn't mean we won't have bad days. That doesn't mean we, we won't have moments where we crave the church and we need the affirmation and encouragement of others. But if we walk into the room looking at how we can serve and meet the needs of others instead of having our own needs met, we will revolutionize our own lives and our congregation. Paul says, don't do anything because it's what you want. Instead, view everyone else as more important than you. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. I have another hour worth of sermon here. Man, okay. I got this cool video. I'll play it at the end of the service. Uh, it's Sesame Street. So for some of you, you'll be like, what? And others of you, it will connect with you. If you grew up babysitted by Sesame Street like I did. We're supposed to be not looking to our own interests, but instead to the interests of others. This, this verse, uh, verses 1 through 4, this passage, it's actually one great big long sentence. One great big long sentence, these four verses are. Here's a translation from a gentleman, his name is Ben Witherington. He uh, wrote the commentary titled, Paul's Letter to the Philippians, a Socio-Rhetorical Commentary. Um, and if that means nothing to you, that's fine. It's actually a really good commentary. I love it. 
uh, the whole series, the socio-rhetorical commentaries, if you're interested. Anyway, um, here's how he translates these first four verses in one sentence. He says this, If then your experiences in Christ appeal to you with persuasive eloquence, if love exerts any persuasive power on you, if there is any sharing in common of the Spirit, if any deep affection and compassion, then complete my joy in order that we might think the same, having the same love, being soulmates, being concerned about one thing, doing nothing for personal advantage or pride, but in humility, thinking about one another as better than ourselves. Each one looking out not for or looking out for each not looking out for one's own interests, but rather everyone looking out for the interests of the other. That we come together, not for ourselves, but every Sunday for everybody else, to serve the believers in our lives to serve our fellow Christians. And then Paul finishes it with verse 5. In case you were wondering what we're supposed to be like, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So all of these things added together, since the gospel brings encouragement in Christ, since it brings consolation of love, since it brings fellowship with the Spirit and affection and mercy, we're called to live worthily by thinking the same, having the same love, being united in spirit and one in purpose. Listen, don't be selfish. Put other believers first. And if you are struggling to wrap your head around why we want to be like this, it's because we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We are here not just to be good people or to, to be nice or to share in donuts, which are, you know, great. But we're genuinely here to be like Jesus. What does it take to be like Jesus? To be of one mind, to be of one heart, to be of one soul, to be of one purpose together. To stop being selfish, to put other believers first. This is what it means to be like Jesus in the church setting. So as we wrap up this morning, some simple questions. How are you treating other believers? Because this is, this is really what this passage is about. We're, we don't want to mistakenly apply it to everybody out there. This is not something where you are supposed to be submitting yourself to everyone out in the world. Now, there are other verses about doing good to the unsaved. There are other verses about meeting the needs of the poor and the widows and the oppressed and the orphans. There are plenty of verses about doing good works to the whole world around us. But these verses are about how are you behaving inside the fellowship of other believers? What's interesting about many of our households is that it's like a little church. It's a gathering of believers. Because mom's a believer and dad's a believer and the kids are believers. How are you treating other believers, brothers and sisters, in your own household? It's interesting, a lot of homes do not, do not look like what's described in these verses. Especially verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider each other better than yourself. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's not what home life looks like, is it? No, give me the remote. Go to your room. Clean up. Pick up. Where's my sandwich? I mean, just... We, too often, do not treat the believers in our own home like Scripture commands us to. 
How are you treating other believers in your household, in your everyday life? How are you treating other believers that you work with? How are you treating other believers as you gather together at this church? Are you living like Jesus and Paul are calling us to? The self-sacrificial life of putting others first, of being single-minded according to the teaching of Scripture, passionate about the gospel, pushing forward to share with others, and giving of ourselves to those around us. Is that who we are? Or are you coming to church because it's what you like to do? And you like to complain about the music or how the pastor goes too long. You like to fuss about how the chairs aren't comfy. But you know, it gives you something to do on a Sunday. The complaining. Listen, we've all fallen prey. But if you came with this attitude of, I walk in the door and everybody else is more important. How can I meet their needs? All of us, our spiritual needs would be met. If instead we walk in, how can my needs be met? We all walk in alone and needy and we all walk out alone and just as needy. Because nobody met our needs and we didn't meet anybody else's. And that would be a sad thing, wouldn't it? May it not be so in our lives. How are you treating other believers in your household, in your everyday life, here in the church? C.S. Lewis wrote, actually this is a sermon he did called The Weight of Glory. And, and I could read like this big, huge section, but I probably shouldn't because it's time to wrap up. But just to, to summarize it, what he said at the end of it, this sermon, The Weight of Glory, is that... We are always surrounded by immortal beings. People who are destined for an eternity either of goodness and glory because of the work of Christ or suffering and separation because of their own selfishness and sin. And oftentimes we just look at people and get annoyed by what's in front of us instead of looking beyond and seeing the deeper part of who they are. When you see a Christian, they are bound for glory. And you want to build them up and serve them in order that they might become even more glorious in the sight of God. And when you see an unbeliever, instead of seeing an enemy, you should see someone who is bo- broken and bowed beneath the weight of sin. Their immortal soul separated from God, in need of redemption. And when we begin to see the value and and the weight of glory in the lives of one another, then we understand the need for us to live Christ. For us to live out what Paul is calling us to and to be like Jesus. Because the truth is, is for me and for you, in this life, everything we do should be Christ. Because when we die, it's nothing but gain. Everything should be Christ. And most especially here in this place, we should be about Christ in our focus, in our speech, and in our willingness to sacrifice ourselves for the good of each other. 
Now, what does that mean? You've got to figure that out, right? Why are, why are you here this morning? Just because you feel like you've got to check it off your list or because you were looking for an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with somebody? I hope it's the latter. And I hope it's the ever-increasing measure that you come here to say, I hope I get to do something for someone instead of what can the church do for me? We are called to live lives of humility and unity. May it be so in ever-increasing measure. Let's pray, and the worship team will make their way up to close us out this morning. And then in a little while here, I will play a video for you that will rock your world as you're walking out. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the word that you've given to us through your, your servant Paul, inspired by your spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have spoken so clearly in the scriptures this morning of our need to celebrate the work that's been done within us by the power of the gospel, but also to look forward to what fruit can come from us if we were to be unified. Grow us together. Change our minds about the way that we think as we read your scripture. Redefine our opinions. Help us to be single-minded, in love with you beyond all measure, desiring to see the kingdom grow, and single-mindedly of one purpose, knowing you and making you known, Father. May there be no selfish ambition or conceit in any of our hearts. Instead, we pray that each of us would consider everyone else in the room more important than ourselves and then look for ways to serve. Look for ways to give of ourselves and meet the needs of others before we even consider our own needs. Sometimes that's money, God, we know. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's an encouraging note. Sometimes it's attending something we don't want to attend but know we need to for the sake of someone give us clarity as we seek to be the church you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus we pray and by his life, death and resurrection we are saved.
Sorry. Okay. Um, well, God's amazing grace is good. Let's live like it matters as we gather together as a fellowship. Not doing things selfishly, but putting one another's needs first. I want to encourage you that begins by coming and belonging. If you're not participating in a study group or a small group, we've got Monday nights, the book of Romans we're going through. Wednesday nights, the ladies are doing their Bible study. Six, six, what? Oh, they're in 2 Timothy. Yes, uh, they're at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday nights. And uh, 7 o'clock Monday nights, youth group. Uh, everybody 7th through 12th grades. Every uh, Thursday night starting at 6 for snacks. 6.30 for the lesson. Uh, just There's lots going on. Of course, Sunday Bible school. Get involved. Get to know others. See in smaller groups how you can meet other people's needs. And then we'll get you engaged on doing the big stuff as time progresses. But uh, I've got a quick video that we can uh, kind of head out with. Uh, you don't have to stay and pay attention to this one. I don't know why my stuff's not loading right. Hmm. Oh, there it is. Okay, so Ken, could you make sure the computer audio is up? You guys are dismissed. Be blessed this week. And then check out this quick video as you're heading out. Anna, yeah. Uh, or Mama. Uh, check out this quick video. If I can get it to play. Let's see. Do you see? Uh, sounds like the Spotify's still on. Uh, do you see the video in there, Erica? Never mind. God doesn't want it to happen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. It seemed like a great idea, but clearly it was not. The Spirit has said otherwise. <laughs>